we're on. Well, I would like to say this, that, man, I would enjoy every one of us being able to go to the men's conference, but I'm not going to say shame on you if you didn't go. <laughs> right, Brother Rusty? Yeah. Yeah, not everybody can go, and not everyone has to go in order to be right with God. So I'm just going to go ahead and clear the air that uh, if I want you to be shamed, I'll let you know. All right? Bueno. All right, that being said, I'd like to open up the service in a word of prayer, and then we will get started. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight, and Lord, I am thankful for this day. I am thankful, Lord, for the time that... uh, We can be reminded in song that because you live, we can face tomorrow. And God, I pray that you would help us, each of us, uh, to know that and to believe that, to remember it when it's needed. And I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, I don't know how many years it would be because time does get away from you, But several years ago, I got trapped in a conversation between my wife and my mother-in-law. You know what that means? You were there. You had no way of escaping. They were talking. You were not a part of the conversation. But you had to listen. So someone came up in conversation. Susie asked a question about a lady that they both knew. She was pregnant, and Susie simply said, well, how is the pregnancy going? And I remember my mother-in-law, who has a pretty good reputation for being sweet and kind and quiet and full of grace and all this other stuff. She said something to this effect. I think she's doing okay, but it seems like she thinks she's the first lady who's ever been pregnant. And as she continued to talk in a not-so-sweet and kind and gracious manner, she said she comes in just, Oh, I'm exhausted. Oh, I'm not feeling well. And whatever the drama would have been that was associated with her pregnancy. And I think my mother-in-law said something to this effect. I, I just want to tell her, Listen, you're not the first lady who's ever been pregnant, so just get over it. Ladies for centuries have experienced these kinds of feelings and these kinds of emotional swings. And again, what all is associated with the pregnancy, I don't begin to understand except by way of observation. But since my mother-in-law had had three children, she was not real sympathetic toward the whole process. Now, I say that for this reason tonight, and I'm going to say this over and over again. But there are some things in life that we experience, and we need to be reminded tonight that we're not the first one to ever experience it. It may feel like we're the only one who has experienced it, but truth be told, if we're honest, we're not the first to experience it. So I'm going to mention just a couple of them, and then we're going to move on to a passage that I know I have preached in the past But I also believe without doubt that the Lord led me to this for tonight's service. This evening, I think every one of us could stand and give testimony to this fact that at some point in our lives, we have been physically exhausted. 
You've been there, haven't you? You're just tired. You're just weary. You're worn out. You've, you've just been going and going and going and going. And so as a result of all the activity, as a result of all the busyness, as a result maybe of, of some sleep deprivation, if somebody were to say to you, how are you doing, you could honestly look them in the eyes and say, you know what, I am exhausted. And there's nothing wrong with that being true. There's nothing wrong with that being said. But it does get old sometimes, doesn't it, when you talk to someone and they act like they're the only one who's ever been tired? Oh, it's been so busy. You know, we've had so much going on. I'm just, I'm telling you, it's just been crazy around the house. I'm tired. Yeah, take a number. You know what I'm saying, right? I mean, how many people are not tired at some point? Stop acting like you're the first person. Because you're not the first person, and guess what? You'll not be the last person to be physically exhausted, physically worn out. It happens to everyone. So for me to say, well, I'm tired, or for you to say, you're tired, okay. And? Because it's just a reality of life, correct? Sometimes I think this is true, that we're not so much weary physically or tired physically, but mentally we are just exhausted. We're just drained mentally. Have you ever been there? It's not that you've been deprived of sleep. It's not that you've been going, 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 and there's been no time to settle down and to shut down and relax for a little bit. But if you could give testimony of certain events and certain moments in your life, you'd say something like this, and my brain has been working nonstop, and, and I would describe it like this, my brain's just tired. I'm tired of thinking, I'm tired of answering questions, I'm tired of people coming to me with another question and another question, and I'm just ready to turn the old brain off and not think for a couple of days. We've all been there. Most of us have been there. Again, it's nothing new, though it may come as a shock to some. People have been mentally tired for a long time. And in the future, people will continue, continue to be tired mentally. Just as that is true, we would also say this, that sometimes it's not a physical fatigue and sometimes it's not a mental fatigue. Sometimes it's an emotional fatigue. We're just tired emotionally. Maybe it's been a very stressful time. Maybe you've had to deal with some fear. Maybe it's the emotion of disappointment. Maybe it's the emotion of some kind of a hurt. But, but you've been going through this situation now for some amount of time, and, and it's as though just the emotions have been worn ragged. It's just as though the emotions are about as raw as they could be because they have been used so much lately. And, and again, I, I want to say this to all of us just by way of a reminder and don't read too much into this right now. I just want us to, to be reminded of this, though, that when it comes to an emotional fatigue, we're not the first to experience it. Whatever your situation is, you're not the first to experience it. 
I'm not the first and we're not going to be the last. People after us will certainly be able to identify with an emotional fatigue that we have experienced. And so this evening, here's what we know and I think we would be quick to admit, and that is we've been physically tired, we've been mentally tired, and we've been emotionally tired. And sometimes this also is true. It's as though the perfect storm is created. And we experience fatigue in all three areas simultaneously. There is this physical fatigue, there is this mental fatigue, and there is this emotional fatigue. And all of them, it seems, bear down on us at one time. And again, if we're not careful, here's what we begin to think. We begin to think that we're the first ones who have ever experienced this. We're the first ones who have ever experienced it to this degree, to this extent. And I think even the Scripture would prove that that's simply not true. That even thousands of years ago, the perfect storm had brewed for certain individuals and there was a physical fatigue, a mental fatigue, and an, an, an emotional fatigue that all took place and transpired at the same time. Now I say that for this reason. With the events of this week, as I mentioned in the service on Friday, I knew the responsibility that I had to be a pastor. That was a responsibility I did not mind. It was a responsibility that, to be honest, I was thankful that the Lord gave me opportunity to do such. But in dealing with the situation of this week and the events of this week, I'd be lying if I said to you that it did not tax me physically and mentally and emotionally. So much so that yesterday on the way home from the conference, John asked me, so what are you preaching about tomorrow night? I said, that's a good question. I'm as excited to find out as anyone is. Because my brain was tired, I was physically tired, emotionally I felt as though, like with everyone else, I had kind of been wrung out. And, and so I said to him, I'm looking forward to that mystery being revealed as much as anyone is looking forward. Because I have no idea what I'm preaching tomorrow night. And what I really thought was this, is I'm going to come to the office Sunday afternoon and I'm just going to trust the grace of God to give me the words to speak. And I was at a point really of just throwing in the towel and saying, Lord, this is your problem, not mine, which all along it should have been his problem and not mine. You understand that? <laughs> this was never really my burden to carry. But yet I was taking on that burden and basically saying, Lord... You realize we've got deadlines, and I can't stand before the people at 6 o'clock and say, I got nothing. So I came to the office yesterday after the conference, sat down, and many things had passed through my mind even while at the conference. What are you preaching Sunday night? What are you preaching Sunday night? 
because I already knew that because of spring break and who I thought was going to be traveling and gone, I thought, well, I don't want to be in Hebrews. And so there were many things going through my mind. So whenever I got to the office yesterday, again, after the conference, the Lord took my attention to the book of Job. I think many of you know that the book of Job is considered by scholars to be one of the oldest books in Scripture that is recorded, obviously, on our behalf. That Job would have been uh, among one of the earliest characters that we have record of. And so in Job chapter 1, here is what we know takes place. In Job chapter 1, Satan is given permission by God to afflict Job. And so in the process of this affliction of Job, this day of adversity, kind of like what we preached about and dealt with this morning, in this time of adversity, in this time of trouble, in this time of sorrow, we know that in a matter of moments, maybe in a matter of hours, Job learned that everything he had was taken from him. Everything that he had known, everything that he had experienced, everything that, that he would have looked to by way of some source of stability in his life and a, a source of joy in his life, every bit of that had been taken away from him except for his health and except for his wife. And as a result of that, it says in Job chapter 1, verse number 20, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. And so when all of this takes place, when all of this transpires, it says Job began to do what any person would do in a situation like this. He began to grieve. He began to lament. He began to to display the emotions that he was dealing with. And yet at the same time, it said in verse number 20, that he also worshipped the Lord and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Well, as chapter 2 unfolds, we know this to be true that Satan was once again given permission by God to afflict Job even further. And so now it's not just that Job has lost his family and that he has lost his possessions. Now Job has lost his health, and his wife even has encouraged him to curse God and die. Chapter 2, verse number 9, it says, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still refrain thine integrity or retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. So Job's health has now been robbed from him, and he's got a wife who is saying, Curse God and die. And then it says in verse number 11, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was upon him, they came every one from his own place at Liston, and it said, For they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And here's what we know if you're familiar with the story. That in the next several hours, I don't know how long all this would have taken to unfold, but in the next several hours, here is what Job's friends began to do. They began to accuse Job that all this has happened because of some sin in his life. They began to say, Job, you're an excellent teacher, but you're basically a terrible student. You know how to give answers to people, yet when it comes to you, you don't respond the way that you're supposed to. And so here is Job, and I want us to see this. He has lost everything he has. He has lost his family. He has now lost his health. He's got a wife who is saying, curse God and die. And he's got three friends who are 
are revealing their foolishness by accusing Job of it being secret sin that has brought this about. And in doing all this and in, in, in considering all this, I want us to think about this truth, that if there was ever a perfect storm created for anyone, it was Job. There is no doubt that physically Job was wiped out. He would have been so spent physically just from the sheer pain, just from the sheer devastation of hearing that your children had been killed in that accident, to know that everything had been taken away, to, to know all of that, there is no question that it would have robbed him of the sleep and it would have robbed him of the rest that he needed. And so without question, he was fatigued physically. You know that his mind continued to work every waking moment that he had. His mind had to be busy thinking about this and what do I do now and what about this and how do we take care of this and honey, we've got to do this. And, and there were so many questions that Job would have had to answer and so many things that his mind would have had to have tried to get around that there is no question at all, if we're honest, that Job would have been exhausted mentally as well as physically. And then how could Job have experienced all of these things and not been exhausted emotionally? I mean, everything that he's gone through, the Scripture lets us know that he wrestled with his emotions. So here is Job, and he is wiped out physically, he is wiped out mentally, he is wiped out emotionally. He's got these three individuals who are saying ridiculous things and, and leveling accusations against him that are ridiculous and are unfounded, and they are absolutely unbiblical or unscriptural because they'll be reprimanded by God later. And in the midst of all this, we turn to Job chapter 23. In Job chapter 23, I love this portion of Scripture. I love the honesty of it. I love the transparency of it. In Job's response to some of the statements of one of his friends, Job said this in verse number 8. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backwards, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. You know what grabbed my attention about this text many years ago? Here is Job going through this intense, incredible trial in his life. And he says, I have looked for God in every bit of this. I've looked to God before me. I've looked to God behind me. I've looked to God to my left. I've looked to God to my right. And it does not matter where I look for God. I can't seem to find Him. It's as though He's not available. It's as though that, that He is hiding His presence from me. And this evening, I know that you know this, but I just want to acknowledge it publicly this evening. And that is this. There are going to be times in our lives that we go through things and it seems like God is a thousand miles away 
during that time of affliction. Have you ever been there? It's like, Lord, I'm looking for you, but I'm not getting any answers. Lord, I'm trying to to understand what's going on here, but I'm not getting any answers. God, I'm trying to know what is the reason for all this, but it's like no matter where I look for you, no matter what kind of of direction I take to know what is going on, God, it's like you're not there. I don't understand why it seems as though there are times God does not make his presence known to us in the way that we desire it, but Job was honest enough to admit, and he was transparent enough to admit, that in the midst of this affliction, every place that he had looked for God for some kind of an answer, God was not revealing an answer for him at that moment. And so here is Job, and he is in this time of turmoil. He is in this time of distress. Again, physically exhausted, mentally exhausted, emotionally exhausted. He doesn't know what God is trying to do. He doesn't know what God is trying to accomplish. But in verse number 10, the statement of faith that is brought forth from Job is amazing. He said, I don't know where God is in verse 8 and 9. But in verse 10 he said, but he knoweth the way that I take. He knoweth the way that I take. I think most of you know this, but whenever Job uses the word, the way, it's talking about the path that he's on. The direction that his life is going right now. And it's, and again, an amazing statement of faith that Job makes in verse number 10. After saying, I don't know where God is at in all this, he said, I don't know where God is, but God knows where I am. God knows where I am. What does it mean to know something? Well, it's far more than just the idea of being familiar with something. It is the idea of being fully acquainted with the situation. God is not just vaguely aware of what's going on. God is fully aware of what is going on. So Job says, you know, I don't know what God's doing in this. I don't know what God is accomplishing in this. I don't even know where God is at in all this. Yet, though that is true, here is what I know that God is fully aware of where I am in this moment. Here's what Job knew of God. Job knew of God that God was not caught off guard by the events that took place in his life. Following this, Job knew that God was not up in heaven saying, I had no idea this was about to happen. I had no idea this was about to take place. No, God, or Job rather, knew that God was fully aware of everything that was about to happen. And to carry it even a little bit further, Job knew that God was not curious about the future.
God was not in heaven saying to himself, I wonder how this will all play out. I wonder what the result of this will be. God was never curious for a moment. He never speculated. He never assumed. He never said, I wonder what will happen if. Job said, though I cannot see him, he knows where I'm at. And this evening, I want to remind us of a couple of things, not just in light of the events of our church this past week, because I mean this, and I want to be very careful in how I say this as a pastor and as a friend. I don't want to make so much of this that we make the family uncomfortable, all right? That's not what I'm trying to do. And I want you to know this message was not designed simply for Miss Mary, though I want the message to be a help to Mary. But I want every one of us to be reminded of this, that there are going to be times in life that we go through things and it wears on us from every direction. It is going to eat at us. It is going to bring us down. It is going to seek to destroy us. And there, there are going to be times where we don't know where God is at. But what we have got to remember is God is always fully aware of where we're at. Nothing comes into our lives that catches God by surprise. And either we believe that or we don't. And if we're going to say, but he knoweth the way that I take, then what we've also got to assume and what we have also got to believe in our heart as a statement of faith is this, is that not only has God not been caught off guard by whatever it is we're dealing with, God is not curious as to how it's going to end up for us. He's just not curious. Well, how is God not curious? Because God is Alpha and Omega. He is beginning. He is end. He sees the beginning. He sees the end. He sees everything in between. And God knows exactly what He is doing in each of our lives. And as a result of that, one more statement of faith from the lips of Job was this, is that when He hath tried me, When I have gone through this refining process, as difficult and as painful as it may be, here's what's going to happen. I shall come forth as gold. What is gold? It's the same thing then as it is today. It is a precious, costly metal of great value, of great worth. Job said that as I encounter this and as I deal with this, as I am broken, as I am weary, as I am sad, as I have been distraught at times, as my wife has encouraged me to curse God and die, as my friends have said these ridiculous statements and made these absurd charges against me, I don't know where God is, but God knows where I'm at. And that's all that matters. Because when this process is through, when this process has been brought to a completion, I'm going to come out of this thing better 
than when I went into it. Now that's a hard truth to grasp, is it not? When the perfect storm has been created. And I don't care what the situation is, I don't care what the circumstances are, it is a hard truth to grasp when we are entering into it. But it is amazing that when God brings us out on the other side, we see that we're actually stronger, more refined, more pure. We're better off because of the process of refinement by God in us. There is a part of me And I don't know if you can understand this tonight or not. I suspect that some of you can, some of you may not. But there is a part of me that for just myself, emotionally and mentally, one more time, I needed to acknowledge that this has been a hard week for me personally. But I know it does not begin to compare to what it's been to the family. And I'm not going to assume for a moment that I can identify or relate to what they're going through. But just in my own little way, I needed to be reminded, even for the life of this church, even for us as a church family, though we don't like how God chose to deal with our church family, we have to believe whether it be in relation to Brother Dub or anything else God allows us to go through, if we're going to live the faith that we proclaim, then we have got to believe that even when we don't know where God is at, we have to know that God knows where we're at, and that's all that matters. He is fully aware of our situation. He was not caught off guard, and I want to say it one more time, and neither is he curious. He knows exactly what he is doing. He knows exactly what he is accomplishing. He knows exactly what he is trying to produce in our lives collectively and individually. And if we will walk in obedience, then when we come forth, we will come forth as gold. And that is a wonderful promise. Does it make the process any easier when the heat's turned up? Of course not. But it's a wonderful promise that we can cling to, whether it be this week or next week or next month or next year. We can know God knows where we're at, and God is accomplishing something great. Because God never does anything For no reason. He never does anything just for the enjoyment of it. He does it so that his children can be made into what we're supposed to be. So that we can be conformed. So that we can be molded into his image. And to be the person we're supposed to be. I don't know if this message helps anyone but me. But I think if we'll hold on to this in the days to come, 
we can remind ourselves. He knows where I'm at, and that's all that matters right now. Let's all stand this evening and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, we come to you tonight. I pray that you'd help us to be encouraged by the testimony of Job. God, if anyone experienced the extreme of extremes by way of circumstances, it was certainly Job. And yet, in all of that, he continued to worship you, and he continued to know that you knew where he was at. And God, I pray that you'd help us to grow to such a place in our spiritual lives where we could have that same measure of faith. To where in those days that we don't know where you're at, that we can take confidence and we can take comfort in knowing that you know where we're at. And that in the end, we'll be better off because of it. So God, I pray that you'd help. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.